Mind if we just take a moment to pray after singing a tender song like that? Now, God, here we are late into the summer, and we are asking that you would meet us on this Sunday as we meet with you. We pray that you would do as you have often done, take these words and make them more than words. May they have your authority and may they be living and active in our lives. I know that this message finds people all over the place, emotionally and spiritually. Speak to us wherever we are today. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to ask, invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the middle of your Bible. We're in a series right now in the summer called Awakening. We're studying Psalms of the Soul. We're taking an eight or nine week break from studying the Gospel of John. We'll come back to that in September. But Pro- Psalms is 150 chapters long. It's one of the biggest books of the Bible. So if you turn to the middle, you'll be pretty close. And uh, again, you'll find it there if you keep thumbing through. We're going to look at Psalm 42 today. Psalm 42. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever faced a dark night of the soul? Have you ever faced a dark night of the soul? It is so hard to believe that 10 days ago, the new Batman movie called Dark Knight Rises, because of a killing spree, launched a whole bunch of people into a dark night of the soul. There's a lot of grieving going on in our country because of what happened in Aurora, Colorado that night. I'm asking, have you ever gone through a dark night of the soul? I don't, maybe I can explain it this way. It's one of those times where you still believe in God or you still want to believe in God, but it's like the lights have gone out. Everything that was so obvious and so ordinary to you before, so clear, isn't quite so clear anymore. Things that seem to be so vital, so alive in you, now seem kind of gone, quiet. You may not have any feeling. You may not have had any feeling for a while. And oftentimes, dark nights of the soul are things that we carry alone. Our family members, those closest to us, may be aware of it. Sometimes even that, we can hide from that. But have you ever gone through a dark night of the soul, a dry time spiritually, a time when you felt like you were in over your head and you were drowning because everything that you thought was so clear isn't so clear anymore? I bring this up because if that's been you, um, then I think you're going to appreciate studying this psalm today. But I also bring it up because there is a myth floating around, and sometimes we're all susceptible to it, that if you walk with God and you walk with God rightly, you'll never have a dark night of the soul. You can get rid of those, voila, for the rest of your life. It's simply not true. My humble observation has been is that even people that have walked with God closely and deeply for years still encounter dark nights of the soul. I was thinking about the fact that I watched my own father go through a period of about two-year depression when I was a kid, and watching him walk through that woke me up to the fact that you can follow God and still go through a dark night of the soul. I have friends and family that are missionaries. We've heard those. They'll tell you there are times on the field where they wonder if they're crazy. It's just, it's overwhelming. I also know just by talking with some of our church leaders, interestingly this week, that, that can just said, in honesty, they just said, 
I, I think I'm going through a, a touch of depression. I think as my body gets older, uh, the fears that I'm facing, they're, they're, it's disorienting me. Uh, some of you have gone through things with loved ones or yourself with chronic sickness that you're just more prone to depression or being deflated or discouraged, and that stuff is part of the Christian life, whether we admit it or not. In fact, I take great comfort whenever I've read a few years ago, um, I, I preached a message called Grace for the Blues. We studied Elijah's life. Elijah, this towering prophet, faces down all the false prophets on Mount Carmel in chapter 18, you know, of 1 Kings. And then in chapter 19, he's as low as the curb. He wonders where God is. He doesn't know what's going on. The Apostle Paul, I'm gonna, I have a reference in the notes today that if you look at it, 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 7, he went through times where he was very discouraged. So again, here's the question. When you and I go through those times, how do we awaken our souls? How do we, all of us, how do we turn our soul in such a way that we're not completely taken under by a dark night of the soul? How do we find strength in God in those times? And I want to talk to you about that today. So here's just some setup things as we look at this psalm today, if you want to follow along with me in the notes. First, I want you to notice, if you've turned to Psalm 42, the little print underneath that in most Bibles says something like this. For the director of music, a masculine, that's a term most footnotes will tell you, it's some kind of musical term. We don't know exactly what it means, but it reminds us that the psalms in Hebrew means songs, these were originally songs. These were all set to music. So it's some direction to whoever's leading the worship singing in the service that day, how to play this song or what to keep in mind. To masculine of the sons of Korah. So if you're following along in the notes, the sons of Korah composed this honest song. And boy, is it honest. The sons of Korah. Now, most of us didn't grow up in the Old Testament times, I'm going to guess here, since we're here. But... When you, if you would have heard this back in those days and you would have heard the word Korah, if you had some basic Bible knowledge, you would have gone, oh, Korah. Because Korah is known in Numbers 16 of the Old Testament as rebelling against Moses and Aaron. And God was so angry with how Korah responded that he opened up the ground and Korah and all those rebelling with him were eaten, just you know, swallowed up alive in the ground. And so Korah was a Levite. He was supposed to help in the worship of God. Instead, he made it about him. But interestingly, the sons of Korah means generations later, not necessarily the immediate sons, but the sons of Korah, eventually when David became king, he appointed a whole worship group of musicians and song leaders. Guess who he appointed? Some of them were sons of Korah. And uh, that tells us something. Some of us here, we didn't come from a Christian background. We didn't come being familiar with God because our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, that was nothing in our history. But God can redeem that. God can do something. He can help you help other people worship God too and know him personally. So it reminds us that these are songs. And what I want you to see also is that Psalm 42 teaches us how to face a dark night of the soul. This Psalm, this song teaches us how to face a dark night of the soul. Now, one thing I forgot to tell you on that first line, the sons of Korah actually wrote a number of psalms. In fact, 
I made a typo I need you to help me with. It's supposed to say Psalm 42 through 49 instead of 29, if you can just fix that. And then they also wrote Psalm 85, 86, 88, and 89. Now, the only place you won't see their name mentioned out of those I just gave you is Psalm 43. And that's because most people believe that Psalm 42 and 43 were one psalm at one time. And uh, I'll tell you why later, why that, that probably is. But that's the only place you won't see uh, of the sons of Korah in your, in your Bibles. But they wrote these different ones. And Psalm 42 teaches us how to face a dark night of the soul. What do you think of when you think of soul? That word gets thrown around a lot, even by people that don't believe in God. But what does soul mean? C.S. Lewis helped me with this quote. I've shared this before. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. What that means is, is that your soul is you. It's all of you. It's not a compartmental, uh, compartmentalization of you. It's not just one area of your life and say, oh, my soul is for God and this is for my work life. No, you are a soul. That means you're eternal. That means that, that you will last forever. Doesn't necessarily decide where you'll last forever, but you are a soul. And what you do with your soul is what you do with yourself. And so this psalm teaches us how to face a dark night of the soul. Now, before we look at this, I want to just talk to you about how do we find strength in God by mentioning two Old Testament stories that kind of set this up? I told you that David appointed the sons of Korah to be worship leaders. So he probably didn't write this song, but I think he heavily influenced it. And he, we read in the Old Testament how he found strength in God at a couple pivotal, difficult, dark nights of the soul in his own life. About six or seven, over the last six or seven years, I've had the privilege of meeting with men's groups where we've studied the life of David. I've really appreciated that opportunity. And different things have stood out to us. Let me mention to you which ones have stood out to me. King David, uh, before he was ever king, you know, he killed Goliath, an amazing miracle with the uh, five stones. And uh, when he did that, he became very famous in Israel. But the king at the time was King Saul. He had a son named Jonathan who was the rightful heir to the throne. But when David was anointed by Samuel, it became clear that Jonathan wasn't going to be the next heir to the throne, but David would be. Now, can you imagine the jealousy Jonathan felt about that? But he didn't feel that way. He actually became David's best friend. But Saul had a jealous eye on David, so for 10 years, count it, decade, he chased David all over the Middle East to try and take his life. And David was on the run for 10 years. Try never living at home for 10 years. So what happened is, is that when David was hiding out, one of those times, he was in a deep, deep place. And look at what 1 Samuel 23, 16 says. It says, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh, and read this last phrase with me, and helped him find strength in God. You ever had a Jonathan like that? All we know is that David, he was up against it. And before Jonathan got there, he was having a difficult time finding strength in God. But by the time Jonathan left, he was stronger in God than he had been before Jonathan got there. How did he do it? Did he talk to him? Did he listen to him? Did he pray with him? Did he just show up and show the kind of love that friends need sometimes? I don't know. 
I just know it made a difference in David's life. Fast forward seven chapters later, several years later in David's life, now Jonathan is nowhere nearby. In fact, he's fighting on Mount Gilboa and he will die in that battle. Jonathan's not around anymore to help David. David's still up against it. In fact, he and his soldiers, his friends, come back from a raiding party to the village they live in in Ziklag and they find that the enemy has taken their wives, their sons, their daughters and all their property, burned their village and they are absolutely distraught. They're exhausted, they've just been, they've just come from about. And the Bible says is that David, for the first time in his life, faced having his own men, his own people wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. That's a moment of truth, friends. Talk about a dark night of the soul. How did he find strength in God this time? Look at this verse, chapter 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. I bet he was. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David, read this with me, strengthened himself in God. In the Lord is, is God, sorry. And what, what happened there is he strengthened himself in the Lord is God. We're not talking about self-help here. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Wow. And what I want to talk to you about today is something that I believe he probably influenced this psalm. This was probably why these lessons could be shared. How did he do it? I want to talk with you about that. So first, we're going to do an overview of Psalm 42. Then I want to primarily talk to you today about godly self-talk. So would you read verse 1 and 2 with me out loud from the, the notes there in that first grade box, and then we'll read through the 11 verses of Psalm 42. Let's read out loud. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That sounds awfully familiar. I think I just heard a song that kind of went like that. That's one reason we had Scott and Cindy sing that song. But notice this, if you're following along in the notes. As deer in a dry land want water, he wants God. This one, this one son of Korah, because he uses the pronoun I, this son of Korah says, you know, the best image I can think of right now is when I've been really, really thirsty, kind of like a deer is thirsty in a dry land. The thirstiest I've ever been. That's how I feel about God right now. Why? Because he's left, it just seems like he's not as close. I thirst for him. I thirst to know him like I've never known him before. So, as deer in a dry land want water, he wants God. I've listed some other verses that talk about that kind of thirst out to the right. But now, if you're following along in the notes, the second line there, notice that he's downcast and disturbed by questions. He's downcast and disturbed by questions. What's downcast? When someone asks me how I'm doing, I don't regularly say, kind of downcast today. It's not a normal way of us talking, but the word we know for sure has something to do with being down. We do talk like that today. I'm kind of down, actually. But downcast came from a shepherd's term where a sheep, uh, certain sheep, when they would get in soft ground, would lose their balance and find themselves on their back. And sheep don't have the ability to upright themselves. So unless someone helps them get back up there in trouble. So the idea of being downcast is complete helplessness. Everything that's ever worked before is not working for me right now. Everything I've always known to do, I don't know what to do. I'm downcast and disturbed by questions. Let me read verse 3 and 4, and then I'll invite you to read verse 5 in the, in the second gray box. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, here's the first question, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, I remember being part of some worship services where worshiping with other people helps strengthen me and God, but I'm far from that now. Most scholars believe that this psalm, by listing some of the geographic locations later in the psalm, is saying that this person finds themselves far, far away from Jerusalem in the temple. And now they're in a place that seems not only dry spiritually, but difficult. And so they're, they're not only there, but they're now hounded and taunted by questions from the enemy. Where is your God? Where is your God now? Where is your God? Notice he'll list it twice in this psalm. Where is your God? And uh, some people say, like, what kind of questions? Questions from without and within. Watch as we read further. He's going to ask questions to God himself. God, why have you forgotten me? You ever been in a series in your life of series of questions where that's all you can think of? God, God, where are you? Where is my God? The third thing I want you to see is that he remembers God as he pours out his soul. He remembers God. By the way, I said I was going to ask you to read verse 5, didn't I? Forgot to do that. In the second grade box, let's read it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This idea here is a verse, I want to come back to this later, because this is not only verse 5, but this is actually verse 11, repeats it. And I told you earlier, it's actually found in Psalm 43, the last verse of Psalm 43. So three times. Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? He's asking questions of himself. And that leads us to he remembers God as he pours out his soul. Let me read verses 6 through 10. He says, my soul is downcast within me. He says it again. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Get this picture. The waves just keep pounding me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And as, he, as he's remembering God, and he's remembering the times in the past when God worked in his life, the Bible says here as he pours out his soul from the depths of his being, the essence of who he is, he pours it out. You ever thought about what it looks like when you pour something out? I picture a bucket. I, I, I don't know about you, but if you went to pour out a bucket of water or mud or whatever, it's not going to come out neatly filed and collated. It's just going to come out. And the Bible says is that rather than waiting to get our whole lives in order and all this stuff, that there's times the best way to handle things we're in a dark night of soul is say, I need to pour out my soul just as I am right now. I love Psalm 62.8. It has helped me so much. But I want you to read it with me. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I've said this before. I can pour out my soul to everybody else but God, even to myself. And he says, I pour out my soul to 
to you. I remember you. I pour out my soul. The last thing I want you to see, and this is the big idea that I want you to walk away with if you can today, is that he talks to himself and strengthens himself in God. In this psalm, the writer of this psalm, he talks to himself and strengthens himself in God. Would you read that second gray box, verse 11, again with me out loud? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, whenever we talk about talking to ourselves, I know that some people talk to themselves, and it's crazy business. You know, I, I, I remember being in Chicago and seeing some homeless people that had lived for years on the streets, and they had been picked on, and they had been stolen from, and it had driven them crazy. And they talked to themselves, and I don't think it was helping much. There was a loneliness there, deep, deep. And then I've also met Christians who they'll just say, you know, hey, you know, just, you know, talk to yourself in such a way where all you do is claim Bible verses all the time. And again, I'm, I'm all for that. But sometimes that's seen as more of a technique than it is of really talking to God. It can be both, so please understand. But So what is, what is godly self-talk? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What would it look like when you're under it? When you are in a dark night of the soul, what would it look like for you to strengthen yourself in God? Because here's what I want to tell you, friends, if somebody hasn't already told you this. Sooner or later, Jonathan can't be there. Sooner or later, Jonathan's going to try and encourage you, and it may not help. There are times when we get in such a deep, dark place of the soul that even the best intentions of people trying to love us doesn't even dent the darkness. You know what I'm talking about? What then? What then is will we learn, can we learn, will we choose to strengthen ourselves in God? Can you imagine the difference it would make to those around you if you can learn to strengthen yourself in God? What would it do in our church if we learned this in the next year? I believe God wants to help us when we go through times of testing to learn this lesson. So let me talk with you as we wrap this up. First, I want you to see, in case you're afraid of me talking about this, that others in the Bible practice it. We actually have other examples in the Bible of people practicing this. And um, again, I could list out to the right there. I've listed Psalm 103 where David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he begins to recite some of those benefits. You can look at that on your own. Jeremiah, the great prophet, wrote Lamentations, and he talks to himself. I'll mention more about that later. I love Matthew 9, 21. There was a woman who was sick for over a decade, and the Bible says that every doctor she went to, as much as they tried, they couldn't help her. So she saw Jesus coming by one day, and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. And it gave her more courage and more guts than she normally would have to touch the hem of his robe, and it made all the difference in the world. You know, when David learned how to strengthen himself in God, the Bible tells us he got back up. Things still, the problem's still there. He got back up, and he said, let's inquire the Lord what we should do next. He said, God, should we go after them and try and get our families back? And he said, go. And when they did that, they got all their family members back. No one had been lost. 
God in his grace met them at the time. Am I saying that's how it always turns out? No, but that's how it turned out in David. Once he strengthened himself in God, God helped him go forward and he can help you and I. But notice this, that godly self-talk, not all self-talk is godly. Not all self-talk is godly. I was, uh, it was interesting this week. I, I used to be a youth pastor and uh, one of the uh, gals that was in the youth group, she's now a mother and she's got a girl that I think is approaching the teen years. So it's very interesting. And she wrote on Facebook this statement. Uh, she said, uh, my daughter said to me this the other day. Would you please be quiet? I'm talking to myself and you're interrupting my conversation. <laughs> now, what she was just admitting is I'm having a conversation and you're interrupting it. And, and some of us, we've seen times where it doesn't always mean that when we talk to ourselves, it's going to make us more godly. By that, what I mean is, godly means where God is the center of my life, where I'm dependent upon him. He is my life. He is the one that helps me. I'm not just trying to boost myself up with like self-help books. I'm talking about godly self-talk. And uh, there's examples listed of how wicked people talk. Some of you have heard this verse before. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's a powerful verse. Then there's Psalm 10 that I've listed here. Look at these verses here with Psalm 10. Here's how the wicked talk according to God. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Here's one more. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account. He'll never, there's no accountability in God. He says, you know, that's not helpful self-talk at all when they talk to themselves like that. So those are some examples. I guess here's what I want to mention to you. Learning to say to myself, if you're following along, what God says is what godly self-talk is. Learning to say to myself what God says. What do I mean what God says? I mean in his word. It means taking it and applying it to my life in such a way, not just so that I repeat it like a parrot, but that it actually goes deeper into me and begins to do something more than it's done before. His word can do that kind of thing. And so learning to say to myself what God says, some of us would be honest here. When we talk to ourselves, we do not say what God says, we say what a parent said to us years ago. We say what somebody at school said to us to hurt us. We say those things and Satan's strategy the Bible says is that he is our enemy, whether you have any other enemies. If you're a follower of Christ, you have an enemy. And he is interested in whispering in your ear. He is interested in lying to you, accusing you, telling you you're not who God says he is. And when that stuff happens, friends, you and I need to be ready to say what God says, even if it doesn't seem true. That's so important. I love Psalm 27, 8. Look at what it says here. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. You see how he's coaching himself? Okay, I'm going to decide right now to seek his face. Your face, Lord, I seek. And that begins this process of what I'm talking about. Now, how do we do this? Let me just tell you quickly my story, and then I want to give you some practical ideas. When I was in college, and friends, I've had other dark nights of the soul since. I'm telling you, as a pastor sometimes, I've been on the verge of quitting. It can happen. It can blindside you. But when I was in college, I had, I don't even know how to describe how this came on. My freshman year, my second semester, 
I, I guess the best way to say it is I came into a depression. I lost my voice for about six weeks, so can you imagine how delighted people around me felt for that six-week period? They finally had a reprieve. But during that time, when I couldn't talk much, now along with that, I literally, I had been so close to God in some ways before that. Now, he didn't seem real at all. I would read scripture, it was so wooden, everything that had been so clear to me was not clear anymore. And I realized I was up against it. I was on my back. And I had a decision to make what I was gonna do. So there, college, again, my parents weren't there, my youth leaders weren't there. Uh, there was a couple people that tried to be Jonathan's to me, but for the most part, I knew I had a decision to make. So I thought, I better, I better figure out how to help strengthen myself in God, because this is a moment of truth. So I started finding some different scripture when I would read each day, because I, I kept reading even though I didn't feel like reading. I, I went out and bought a hymn book and started memorizing the first verse of every hymn that I could remember from my childhood so that I had that. And I just tried to fill my mind. I tried to play music that would direct me to God. I tried to be active even though it's hard in the Midwest in the winter. And I tried to do some of those things. And what happened is, is I would love to tell you that as soon as I started doing that, everything got better. It didn't dent what I was going through and it really, really confused me. But I knew that the Lord was saying, keep talking to yourself. Challenge yourself to trust in me, even when, because I'm gonna teach you some valuable lessons through this. Six weeks doesn't sound like a long time now. It was an eternity back then. But you know, God used some scripture. And I wanna just invite you to turn your notes over in the back. And I'll just, I'll show you. You can look at these more later. But can I tell you the honest truth? These will not mean anything to you unless this is your idea. I mean, I can stand up here and say, hey, this would be a great idea. But you know when it'll mean the most to you? Is when you say, this is what I want to do. This is what I must do. And I may not use these particular ones, but God, help me feed myself, strengthen myself in God. Let me be my own best encourager rather than my own worst enemy. And somehow through this process, teach me how to strengthen myself in you. And I've listed different ones there. I could make so many comments. It's the last one that God used mostly in my life in those days. Lamentations. Talk about a book for depressed people. But you know what? It's got a beautiful verse of hope. He pours out all the stuff that's going wrong in his life, all the stuff that's going to go wrong in Israel's life. And he says, my soul is filled with bitterness and gall. All my splendor is gone that used to be there. And then he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, even though it seems like it. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Help me see them, Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Day after day, I just kept saying, teach me what this means, Lord. Let those words go farther into my heart. I'm more shallow than I realized. Teach me. And the only reason I'm standing here today is because he gives strength to the weak. He is faithful, even when it doesn't seem like it. 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And so if you want to turn your notes back over, here's just the last couple things if you want to apply this to your life. And you may not be in a place where you want to do that. I understand, but I want to offer it to you. When and what is it that I need to say to my soul right now? What situation, when is it that you need to practice this really big time? Or what is it that you need to say to your soul? I've offered some ideas on the back of the notes, whatever it might be, but here's the thing. I hope you walk away believing today by the help of the Holy Spirit. That last line, I can learn to strengthen myself in God. I can learn. It may not be easy. It may take weeks. It may take months, but I am going to learn to coach myself, to challenge myself, to help myself spiritually and not just help other people's spirits. I'm going to help myself too to seek the Lord and depend on him. I told you that I wanted to maybe come back to Psalm 42.5, the same verses 42.11, 43.5. It's all the same. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So this week while I was exercising, I was carrying the verse cards and I was going over them and saying, Lord, I know that church services can happen every week and it doesn't necessarily change any of our lives. Would you please let these words be more than words to us as a church family? I don't know how you'll do that, but show us. And, and he, he put a melody to those words in my heart. And uh, nothing big or impressive. But I, I, sometimes I can remember scripture longer if I sing it. And so our prayer is today is that as we close, we're just going to, I'm going to introduce this song. We're going to sing it. We're going to invite you after we sing it a couple times. We'll invite you. I pray that wherever you are today, you will find hope in God. Here's how this song goes. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God, hope in God, for I will yet praise him, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, put your hope in God, hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, 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 my Savior and my God. Would you mind standing up and singing this with us? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Hope in God. For I will yet praise Him. For I will yet praise Him. My Savior and my God. One more time. Downcast, oh my soul, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, put your hope in God, hope in God, 
Again, I, I don't know if this song will go with you. It, ultimately, what I pray happens, friends, is that this truth, God will FedEx it into your heart and mind. You'll go with it today. You'll know that God does care for you even when it doesn't seem like he does. That this is still true even when everything else seems turned on its head. I want to just pray for you. I want to ask the prayer team to come down while I'm closing here. And uh, I want to remind you of Craig and Allison's event after this, if you want to go to that. But here's the big idea. If God's been showing you something during this service and you just need to pray with someone, we'll be down front. We'd be glad to do that with you. I was thinking of what it used to be like for me in math class. When I was in math class, I got math when I was in math class. I just didn't get math at home. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I was saying, Lord, please somehow... Let what we talk about this morning make sense at home. Because here's how you're going to become a more, more mature Christian and so am I. By learning how to strengthen ourselves in God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday. So let me pray for you. Oh God, how we thank you that you want to help us learn this lesson. It's not going to be easy. I hope I haven't given anybody that impression. But I pray that if someone today is in a very dark place, that you might show them how to have hope in you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Cherry Hills.